0: Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
1: This is Monica. I would like to give the opening CEU code, please. The opening CEU code is 83845. Again, the opening ceu code is eight three eight
2: four five thank you hello all i'm chris hunsinger and this is the rehabilitation task force's presentation on making a difference by getting a job coach and um, we want to well, a rehabilitation coach, not a job coach. Uh, we want to, um, talk to you about this issue of uh, this, this thought process that we have and hope that people will embrace it and help their, um, peers and, um, and other people who are part of their, um, their group do better at, um, I- embracing the, Uh, rehabilitation system. We need coaches in many places in many ways. And so this is one place that we think people can stand to have a coach. And I'd like to introduce everybody else in the group or I'll pass it on to people. I'll send it to, I'm the co-chair of the rehabilitation task force and I'm passing this on to Doug Powell. Um,
3: uh, My name is Doug Powell and I'm also a co-chair of the uh, relative, <laughs> rehabilitation Issues Task Force. Uh, and I will pass it along <coughs> to Lori Scharf.
4: I'm Lori Scharf. I'm from Virginia, and I am a member of the ACB Rehabilitation Task Force.
5: Marcia, Okay. I am Marsha Farrow. I am a vision certified vision rehabilitation therapist from Georgia. Uh, I just a brief overview. I have a extensive background and as a mental health professional, then I became a certified BRT working for over 40 years now. So thank you for asking me to be part of the panel.
3: It's our pleasure.
2: Um, Okay, let's tag John McMahon.
6: Good morning, everybody. Dr. John McMahon here. I am also a certified vision rehabilitation therapist, been in the field for around 40 years, and I'm currently in Michigan. Okay, great. Yeah. And
7: Alice. Good morning. I'm Alice Richard and I'm from Georgia. And I am a member of the rehab task force and also a retired. Um, Certified Visual Rehabilitation Therapist.
8: Neva? Good morning, everyone. My name is Neva Fairchild. I work for the American Foundation for the Blind as the National Aging and Vision Loss Specialist. I am a member of the Rehabilitation Issues Task Force for ACB, and I'm trained as a vocational rehabilitation counselor.
2: Cool. I think we got
3: everybody, right? Yeah, this is a fun one because I've known most of these people <laughs> for as long as I've been involved with ACB. So it's, it's really, it's kind of like, uh, old home week. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, uh,
2: Chris. So the first question we probably that most of you have is what are the benefits of this coaching experience? And I can say that I think one of the, uh, most important benefits of this coaching experience would be more successful outcomes for clients of any VR program. And um, if others want to chime in with other uh, benefits, um, we have quite a few listed here, but I just thought it would be better that each of, that of somebody else say some of the others.
4: This is Lori. I would just like to point out, first of all, that um, all of the panelists are peers, meaning that we're all blind or low vision. And in the coaching process, it's our hope that, um, you know, you will journey with a blind peer through their rehabilitation process. And we're speaking of rehabilitation in the broad sense of the term. So we're not only speaking about people that are looking for employment. We're speaking about youth. We're speaking about um, people who may be working in the w- for trying to get services within the older blind program as
7: well
3: and, and then the next benefit that I can see is that uh, it's fulfilling to to work with somebody and help them along the way and um, work with the you know work with the agency or the, or the regional office uh, personnel and and uh, try to get the the best uh, rehab experience for uh, a client um, and and get them on their way
8: having a coach in all aspects of life can help us negotiate unfamiliar territory so much better. And let's face it, the rehabilitation system, no matter what age you are, is confusing. And often we need help to make sense of where to go. You think about it, a five-year-old who's playing Little League for the first time, the coach is so important. Here's how you catch. Here's how you bat. Here's where you run after you hit the ball. Without that, kids would just be running around the field having a good old time, but there wouldn't be a game in process. And the same thing is true for us when we apply for services or reach out even for services, not even knowing we need to apply. And having a coach to walk that walk with you is such an advantage to someone who is in a completely new environment and not to mention probably dealing with the adjustment to losing vision.
6: That's the- such a good point. And, and having that person, that rehab coach, who not only understands the pathway, but also uh, is further in that adjustment process it it just gives you that um, kindred spirit if if you will or somebody who can maybe normalize your experience a little bit
2: and the final benefit I think that um, before we move on to the next thing that that seems like a really odd one but you know if you can make someone feel good about where they are and what you have offered them as a member of your affiliate, maybe they'll be a more active member of that affiliate or even join it. So it could even um, bring new, what we always talk about, like, how are we going to get new members? Uh, It could even bring new members into any affiliate.
3: Yep, Outreach. I mean, uh, uh, practically every conversation that I have with affiliates, we're always talking about outreach. And this is one way that we can uh, not only help people, but, 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 but do membership outreach uh, or other organizations are very good at doing this kind of thing. So uh, I think that we uh, can up our game in that area. So uh, this is one avenue where we can do it.
2: Now to demonstrate the benefits of coaching, Marsha has a story for us. <laughs> she has been doing this kind of work with people for a long time um, and she has a story that she wants us to know about and wants all of us to know about. And then we'll talk about um, h- how different aspects of coaching were used after that. So, Marcia, take it away.
5: Okay. Thank you, Chris. I know that each of us entered our journey uh, in a different place. Some of us as children, that would be me with retinitis pigmentosa, others much later, some very unexpectedly did not even realize they had a vision problem at all but growing up in rural a rural state where there was very few services the one single thing that i can say that vision brought to me personally was i became an a self advocate at a very early age i learned to speak up to teachers to principals, to guidance counselors, to doctors and on and on. So with that said, my natural inclination after I graduated from school and I wanted to go on to, to, I knew I wanted to, to go to school to extend my abilities and skills. So I went into advocacy really is what, is what I did because what better, better way, what better part of life that I had experienced for me to be able to share with others. And I felt that, and I felt that calling very early in my life. So um, having gone into mental health, working with the chronically mentally ill for the Georgia State Merit System for over 25 years, then seeing the need for vision professionals and challenging myself that... Others needed vision professionals. So why didn't I do it? Why did I go to school and get that degree? Why did I keep asking others to do it? And so I did it. I went to Florida State like Alice did. I traveled. I made the trip down there 14 different times by plane to get that master's degree. So I have been determined to help others. So my story uh, that I really want to share is is a young man that came into my life. Uh, he came into my life through my agency, really, in the beginning, as a person who was losing their vision. He was in his 20s, very, very angry about his vision loss. He had been able to drive. He had played football. He knew he had a vision problem, but he didn't dream of the extent that that vision problem would end up causing in his life. He had learning disabilities um, as well as the mental health issues, and then here came the vision loss on top of that. So being that I I saw early on that he was – a complicated case, you might say. There were uh, difficulties between the the rehab folks, the vision folks, uh, the medical folks. There were so many uh, misunderstandings about what this young man needed. He was angry. He had gotten in trouble with the police. He was living in an, a violent neighborhood in an extended stay where many people were afraid to go to deal with him. But you know, I already had that background in mental health. I had been in these dangerous situations and I'm not encouraging others to do that, but I was not going to let that stop me from, from reaching out to this young man. So basically my, when I be, went from a, a VRT in a way, to a job coach, which I think is part of being a VRT, or to a coach, maybe a life coach is almost a better way to say it, because he wanted a job but he didn't have one at the time. Uh so when I realized that he, you know, he wasn't going to make it so much in the in the rehab expectations, okay. They said, you know, he wasn't fulfilling his part of the keeping up with things, missing appointments. It was all because of his mental health issues. He fell through the cracks. Okay. He became suicidal during that time. He felt like nobody cared. And, and with that said, I just simply put on another hat. I put on my Georgia Council of the Blind hat. I put on my, my coaching hat through the Georgia Council of the Blind. So I, I know I no longer necessarily viewed him as quote unquote my client, whom I was paid to work with, but he was my peer. He was part of the community who was blind. And who could say that I couldn't help a peer in need that was very much in need? So I stayed involved with him. I never gave up on him. I kept in contact with him. I went to see him. Uh I, I I assisted him in in ways to keep a mobile phone going and and so as he began to crawl out of that hole, he ended up going back to his home community where he had somewhat of family support there was able to get his own apartment, continued to reach out for mental health services. And frankly, the mental health services did a super amazing job uh, with him and looking for work for him. The bad part was they didn't understand the vision. So they would get him jobs that were not so easy for him as a visually impaired person. But he would try and he would do it. And he sort of proved himself with the rehabilitation counselors a little bit. They saw that he really, really wanted to improve his life. And they worked with him. They began to send us quote, unquote, professionals back in vision professionals back into his life again to work with him. And there were there were many efforts made, some of which was hindered by his background. Unfortunately, his legal background, people were afraid of him. He's a big guy. They were afraid they they would say, oh, this guy's violent. You know, so forth. But anyway, with that said, after a long, long journey, which we don't have time to say, I will proudly say it takes an army right for these folks. He currently is ready to graduate from the NFB Center in in Ruston, Louisiana. If everything works as it should, he has a job waiting for him, not here in Georgia, but in another state. And his life has gone from living in a homeless hotel, you might say in ways, to having a job and having all this wonderful training that he's had. But it took people like me, you know, people willing to stay in that, that with him for him to get from that point to where he is now. So thank you. I could tell you a lot more about it but that gives you the highlights of the situation.
3: Great. Thank you very much Marsha. It's a great story and uh I admire your dedication and commitment. Um so let's move to what the uh, some some aspects of what is involved with uh, with being a coach. Um and first I think we probably ought to talk about what kind of boundaries we need to set or a coach needs to set with their client. Um, and, and, um, notice Marcia, you know, was, was willing to jump in there and go to, go to her client and, and that kind of thing. But it, it was, it was all, you know, very professional and, uh, and, and uh you know and, and so you could tell that there were some boundaries that had been set so um can uh can the panelists talk about what kinds of boundaries they feel are necessary for uh, a coach
7: this is alice and i think one of one of the first ones is is to establish with them that i'm here to support you i'm here to help get you prepared and ready but i'm not I'm not going to be the one to go in and ask for what it is you need. That's got to come from you, but I'll do everything I can to help prepare you so you're ready. And I'll even be there with you for support. But it it really is up to the individual then to take the torch because they're the one that needs to develop that relationship with the counselor.
3: Great. Yeah. Kind of an accountability partner, not somebody who can walk in and do something for, for them.
4: And this is Lori. Um, I think an important thing is, is to know that you're there to journey with the client and support the client and help the client maybe make decisions about things. Um, sometimes I think in the rehabilitation process, particularly in situations where people may have a lot of different disabilities, which, as we all know, is very common. Um, you know, somebody may be really good about working with the blindness and visual impairment side of things, but not the other areas, the criminal history, the um, the, the uh, mental health issues, the substance abuse issues. You... Need to be clear as to what your role is and that you're there to help the person to understand what options are available. And I think a lot of times people have tools in their toolbox, but they're not just sure. They're just not sure what tool to use and setting those boundaries and helping them figure out what the tools are is important and developing trust with them.
0: Great
8: this is Neva. I think the most important part of this too is to make sure that you're not creating more dependency by being a coach, helping a person to uh, negotiate the system that you're empowering them, not enabling them. And I, I, it's a fine line to walk because let's face it, if we have been through the VR system or if we are a professional in the in the VR system or any system really education or older blind doesn't matter uh we have more of the answers we know how it works we have we have more expertise than most people but doing it for them keeps them from. Growing keeps them from expanding their horizons, keeps them from developing skills. It's so easy to do something for somebody because you know it and it's easy for you, but they never develop that skill if someone continues to do something,
2: to do everything for them. And, and, and I, I want to say this is Chris. I want to say that that whole, it's painful to watch somebody learn how learn and discover these things for himself or herself but you just have to lead that person to that discovery in in many cases i think it is a safe way to say it
6: and one of the real important excuse me this is john one of the really important things from the story i heard is that the the ability to keep going back and working with that individual even when they were in a sense uh you know the the Professionals weren't able to spend the time that is so important to building a trusting relationship. Once you start with professional rehab, they're on the clock, you know, they've got so many days to meet certain deadlines and all of these things that are going on that they have to pay attention to. And they don't always get to spend the time that's required to build that really sound, trusting relationship. But as a rehab coach, you can spend that time. And again, as Neva said, being aware of where that boundary is to building the trust relationship without building a dependency. Right,
3: And the one, one other thing that I would add, uh, at this point is that we're, we as coaches, we're not, we don't have law degrees. So mm-hmm. we're not going in as an advocate. Notice we've raised really been talking, uh, uh, you know, being careful to use the raised term "coach" rather than "advocate," um, because when you walk and say walk into a meeting and say you're an advocate, uh, there is a, an assumption that this is something legal that a, that an attorney is is coming in to try to you know try to help out with. Um, so as, if we identify ourselves as coaches. Then that, that is clear that, um, we are peers and, uh, you know, and, and it's not only, you know, if somebody needs a legal battle, they go to the, um, to the, uh, office Client of, Assistance Program. <laughs> yeah, the office of, of protection and advocacy or, you know, whatever it's called in your state. There are mechanisms to do that. If you've run into, um, rehab, uh, uh, conflicts between what the client needs, w- wants and needs, uh, and what the, uh, what the rehab agency, uh, personnel, uh, think that they can give. So, and, they, you know, so we can, we, there is, there are legal recourses, but that's not what we're fulfilling as a coach. Another
4: thing to-
3: oh, I'm sorry, Neva
4: it it was Lori. um oh, Lori, i just i just wanted to say one other thing is it's really important to think to be aware of confidentiality and I'm a social worker and a uh, vision rehabilitation therapist, among other things and I <clears throat> way too often you know people in just you know your local a c b meeting or something I, you need to be respectful and not share information mm-hmm. that you may be going on with somebody that you're working with in a coaching role. You need to respect their privacy and the challenges that they're dealing with. Um You know, it's not something, it's not a topic that you would discuss at your meeting or
2: anywhere else. Great. Yes. Oh, and and I just had one other thought and that is, you know, that you're, one of your jobs as that rehabilitate, that rehab coach is to help that person, um, learn how to have a positive feeling about the whole process, um, with their counselor, with the system, et cetera. It doesn't always work well, but it, it, it's better than any other alternative, which is nothing. And so you, you need to make lemonade at all, as often as possible instead of uh instead of just lemons and um it's also important it may be an important way to help a person to do a role playing situation and, and let them see the different kinds of things that can happen. What if somebody questions the fact that you want to do something in particular? Or what if they say they don't think you're capable of something and, and, and make sure that the person understands that these questions can come up. So role playing is, a, is it, it just, it just prepares somebody.
5: And one thing I would just like to interject, this is Marcia speaking again. (laughs) It is so important with coaching to be very confident in who you are as a coach. Don't let the success or failure of the person be your goal. And in other words, like with this young man, I'm not looking for a trophy or an award you know the my work with him was largely behind the scenes I wanted it to be that way. I know what I did. He knows what I was able to do. I was able to work with some rehab counselors and pave some, some, you know, ways for him, help him to communicate. But I'm, I want him to shine. I want him to be the star of his own show. And it's not about me. It's about him. And I hope all of us as, as coaches can not feel the need to get any personal gratification publicly from the work that we do.
4: This is Lori. I always say when, you know, you're doing something because you want you look for like acknowledgement and that type of thing, you've lost sight of the end goal. The end goal is working with the person that you're working with in the moment and where they are.
3: Mm-hmm. And Alice and, 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 uh, Marsha, you know, in Georgia uh, have gained quite reputations, not because, you know, not because they were troublemakers and not because they were disrupting, but because they knew their stuff and they did their jobs. And, um, the, and I, I'd say this for all of the, all of these people, but I've had more conversations with Marsha and Alice about this, um, in, in Georgia, which is not the best state for rehabilitation, um, they've gained reputations for themselves because of the work they did not because they were looking for a good reputation so i, I think that's all, what i wanted to say I, another aspect of of the of the relationship between a coach and a client um it's very easy i don't know how many meetings i've been in where it's very easy to bash the uh rehab system you know oh, they you know they never do what i want them to do and and uh that teacher was lousy and then, you know all that kind of stuff that's what com- it kind of comes up a lot in in you know whenever you're talking about the rehab system however uh that's not going to get you any place when you have a client and a coach who are uh already uh you know predisposed to assume that the system is not going to work for them what I think we're trying to develop as a coach is a, a rapport with both the client and the counselor and, the, you know, personnel in the, in the office, in the agency office, so that positive steps can be made. And obviously, you know, not everything is going to go perfectly, but if you approach it from a positive standpoint, rather than going negative, uh, I think that you're going to, in the long run, be better off
8: that's so day. important Doug. you're right Go ahead, I, gr- I agree 100% and i think you have to come at it not only from a positive perspective but from a perspective of, of knowledge and i don't i don't think there's a state in the union that doesn't have their their manuals and their and their rules and regulations on their website uh, state agencies which includes vr And older individuals who are blind programs and education agencies uh, all are required. This is all public uh, knowledge. But the public usually doesn't know it's there and the public doesn't usually access it to come to this place of coaching from a position of knowledge and an understanding of what is possible and what is required um, to to participate fully in the rehabilitation process at whatever age and so every state in the union is different and so in your affiliate in whatever state you're in you would you would want to be knowledgeable about it not just from your perspective and your experience but from the whole perspective of what can a person expect what is required of a person And what do you have to do to be considered eligible or what are you entitled to? Because that's very different from program to program. Some programs are entitlement because you're alive and you meet these certain criteria. You are entitled to this service. But some programs have eligibility requirements. You you have to be more than just alive and meet certain requirements. You have to meet an eligibility requirement that that. It, it varies, but is all based on the same federal regulation. So a knowledge of, you know, the federal aspects as well as your individual state aspects, I think is just vital if you're going to be a successful coach. So it takes some homework. There's
2: work to do. And we, we know that this is Chris. We know that it takes homework from the coach. You need to, you need to know how your state system works. As Neva said, you need to know how the federal system works. You need to, um, need to know where to get assistance when there are legal questions involved. And we hope that in the future, when we actually can help, um, affiliates, if they want help setting up a program like this, that we can come up with a, um, at least a cheat sheet or a handbook that will help everybody find what they need to find. We're not going to teach classes. That's, you know, that would mean we'd have to learn the whole every all 50 state systems, et cetera. And in some states, it's um, a separate agency for visually impaired people. And in some states, it's a combined agency. So there are different ways of doing these things in, in different states. And we'll be glad to be there to um, advise people, but we can't teach the whole program. And, and even, you know, we, we may be able to come up with, um, some additional career guidance information, um, help people think about outside the box. Where can you go? Um, just to get some more information, et cetera, like, um, like independent living agencies for more information or other nonprofits that help visually impaired people, like lighthouses, et cetera, to help individuals. There are all kinds of places where, Individuals can go to learn how to uh, acquire the resources you need as a coach, but that does mean that somebody's going to have to get together on a local level and, and identify people who'd like to do that kind of work in their affiliate if, if an affiliate wants to help people that way.
3: Yeah, I think you, you will only gain respect from the staff of the agency and clients if you if you know what you're talking about not just from your rehab experience but from you know from these manuals and the and the regulations that um that we've been talking about when you know the regs when you you know when you know what the manual says then you then when you're in a meeting with the personnel uh, well or the client you know you can you can help them develop uh, realistic expectations and you can also, uh, make sure that the, uh, personnel is, is clear about, you know, what, what it is you want to do and how it fits into their scope of, you know, their scope of practice.
8: Here's a good example, Doug. Go ahead. A person who is 63 years old has lost enough vision that they are struggling to do their job and They didn't know that anything existed to help them, so they quit. Mm -hmm. Then they find out that there's help available and they go to the VR agency and say, hey, I'm losing vision and I had to quit my job, but I wasn't ready to stop working. I want to work. And the VR agency says, oh, you're over 55. You go to the older blind program. And. In point of fact, there is no upper age limit for receiving vocational rehabilitation services. You can be 80 years old, and if you have the ability to work and can prove your eligibility, you can receive VR services. But many staff at the front door and some even deeper into the, the levels <laughs> of vocational rehabilitation agencies around the nation,
1: turn people away because of their age. And a
8: coach could help a person who finds themselves in that situation understand that that's a place to self-advocate, like Marcia was talking about in the very beginning. This is
4: Lori. I recently heard a story of somebody who was an accountant and during tax season uh, began having some major vision issues and thought, oh gosh, I'm going to have to pack it in. And, uh, you know, was connected with rehab and was in a state where They were able to get services from a nonprofit contract agency pretty quickly to help them get a video magnifier to be able to look at people's accounting documents and look at her computer screen. And she was actually didn't even know about a magnifier and was able to do enough with magnifier. And, you know, she was in her late 80s, her mid 80s. Wow. 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 Yeah. I don't know that I'll be working in my mid 80s, but <laughs> <laughs> or want to <laughs> exactly.
3: All right. Um, any other topics that might come up? Um,
2: We've got the uh, you know, like I the, we mentioned the client assistance program as a, as a, another place to go for. Um, additional help when you're trying to sort a situation out. Um, we've talked, we haven't talked about the people at Mississippi State who, um, have, um, all the older blind information and, and, that, that, um, information available that we can help people locate more of so that they can, you know, be more authoritative on, uh, the kinds of things that people can do, et cetera.
3: And actually, Mississippi State, uh, their programs are not only for older blind. They're, right. They're for all aspects of...
6: Uh, of yeah, um, they
4: they um, do a podcast on employment now.
6: And this is John. They have uh, just an absolute ton of resources for employment and older blind. And many, uh, most are free to anybody who... Uh, Wants to get on their website and look. So again, really a good resource for affiliates. Uh, but going back to the client assistance program, the the CAP program is a program that is free for any client of Public Rehabilitation, not just for vocational rehab, and it doesn't only apply when there's an issue. It it will provide free advocacy services. So if you have uh, a person you're working with and who just doesn't understand and you need that sort of legal uh, perspective, the client assistance program can be a perfect collaborator for that. Because again, as somebody mentioned earlier, as a rehab coach, we're, we're not a legal authority on anything, but the client assistance program advocate is.
8: Knowing those resources in your local community, in your state is, is one of the secrets to being an effective coach. And probably you won't find one human in each state that knows all the resources. So this is an example of when a team of people coming together for this purpose is stronger than one individual because You'll know about resources I don't know about. I'll know about resources you don't know about. And when everybody pulls that information together, Mm. we're all stronger. We all can help people better to achieve their goals, to achieve their dreams. And so in, in my mind, this rehabilitation coaching concept for affiliates of the American Council of the Blind is going to be a group project. And and each affiliate is going to have to look at it differently based on their state and their resources of people within their affiliate. It may start out small and then to grow. I see the people in ACB as the grassroots experts of what it's like to live with vision loss in their local community, in their part of the nation. And that is powerful. That has value. That can help people to get where they want to go better and faster. How many of you talk to people who say, Oh, I started losing my vision five years ago, but I never heard of anything. I didn't know there were services. I didn't know there was ACB. I didn't know there was any help available. I just figured that was it. I was done. Wouldn't it be nice if they got information faster? Wouldn't it be nice if they found out there was help a lot quicker so they didn't spend so many years, so many months, even so many days without support?
3: And just in this, you know, on this panel... I'm guessing there's probably at least 150 years of experience in, <laughs> in advocacy. Not going to tell you how many numbers I or how many years I, I know. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not attributing any number to anybody. But thank um, you. <laughs> but it, I, you know it's substantial, and um, so if you know if we can uh, create a um, a group of people interested in learning. Um, and having having us you know as resources um i i think we can really uh create quite a uh quite, quite a coterie of of people who uh know their stuff and are are working well with, within their communities
2: and you know it it pays to have um people with all kinds of experience in the group because for instance i'm a fairly urban person i, I don't deal i i don't even understand say the transportation issues that somebody in a rural part of the state will have planning any any event when they don't can't drive um uh, it's it's just i i can't wrap my head around how much extra time that takes but that person can't understand possibly the way um someone in a city would feel if they're using um, a lot of public transportation that could go, could be in areas where they feel either un- insecure or whatever, uh, that kind of thing. I mean, the insecurity doesn't have to do with their vision loss. It has to do with personal safety that that's, that's a, you know, there could be something that someone who's urban has to learn to live with. Um, and that someone who's rural might not like get a, get the same handle on that.
4: And, and maybe for somebody who is experiencing sudden vision loss, that could be a very scary thing. And, you know, they may need to look at, do they have the financial ability to move to somewhere that's more safer or has better transportation or, you know, but those are things that as a coach can be explored and looking at resources to help people. Because if things go topsy turvy in somebody's uh, housing situation frequently, everything else is in dishevel and it really could change, um, you know, somebody rapidly. And, and that's where a coach could really be beneficial and say, look, there are options out there. Paratransit. Have you heard of paratransit? Is, does paratransit exist in your area? You know, it's, it's really journeying with somebody from the bottom up. Mr. He, Maslow
8: knew what he was talking
4: about.
7: Yes, he did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, uh, you really have to be where the individual is at the time when they start, because I remember I have, uh, I had one individual that I peer supported. And when I first met him, he didn't even want to, he was a young man and had had, had lost his vision during a tragic accident. And, um, so he was in bed, and, and and when I got there, and he came out long enough to talk to me, and he was, you could just tell, very depressed, because uh, he basically said to me, well, I don't know, you know, there's nothing I can do anymore. Um, and I said, well, what do you enjoy doing? Well, I used to do video games. And so that's where we started. I mean, that was where his interest was. So, And, and he said, you know, I just don't know how I can do things. I, I don't want to leave the house. So the other thing I had to do was get him to realize you can get out and and do things so what we did I said well how would you feel about going bowling and it was like bowling (laughs) but we did it and and we went to where he was at and once he started feeling more confident about himself then he he started realizing, well maybe there is stuff I can do and I'm just happy to say that this young man now actually a full-time job and is helping other folks, so it, you do have to start where they're at that's what the coaching's all about where they're at um and and that's where you begin
8: and i'll I'll just for those who may not know Maslow's um hierarchy of needs uh, it's a theory that the most urgent needs have to be met first. If you don't have a safe place to live, if you don't have food, if you don't have the basic needs of life, you can't really think about the uh, other needs that are probably less urgent, like um a new dress uh, to go to dinner in on the weekend. That kind of doesn't matter when you don't have a roof over your head.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: Chris, should we see if there are any questions?: Okay. Um, Monica, would you uh, well, folks, raise your hands and and uh, and and we can figure out then who has questions, and they can ask them. Raise mm-hmm. We have raise Roberta hand. with a question.: Well, I love what hand. I'm hearing.
1: Um, my name's Roberta okay. McCall. and I live in Michigan. Um, and we have initiated a project here. Unaffiliated with a state agency, unaffiliated with any consumer group, although I am a member of ACB. Raise um, three two Close. Press CMD to open pop-up. Raise hand, carry plus three. Raise hand. Close. to open popup up Raise um, hand, carry mute, plus three. raised hand. Close. Press CMD. We, we aren't using the term up. coach. Uh, we don't really raise have a good term. I like the term coach. Hand. Um, Close. but, um, what this uh, care to care is what it's hand. called. Um, we are approaching this from the opposite Press spectrum. Hand. We are um, working yes. with ophthalmologists to give them a place to, or a resource to give to their patients so that there is someone for them to talk to, similarly to the coaching is what you have described, Um but we have, we, we not only have our foot in the door, we are standing in the, in the office of an ophthalmologist who um fell into our lap, so to speak. Um, when um, I had a change in ophthalmologist and he was my new ophthalmologist. And when I first met him before he even did anything medically related, he pulled his chair up and looked me right in the face and said, can I ask you a few questions?" and I said, "Well, of course." And he said, "Can you tell me why it is that I have so many patients who are complaining that they have the skills yet over and over and over they do job interviews and they're rejected because of their blindness." And I thought I just rubbed my hands together and thought, "Oh boy, <laughs> we need you." So, but so we have this project that we're trying to get off we are Partly off the ground, we're in beginning phase two to provide to the ophthalmology side of things a a resource, a place for, uh, the, for them to give information to their patient, or they can make a direct referral. Um, the person will receive a call back within 48 hours and um, w- will complete a brief intake and then will be referred to um, volunteer at this point in time, volunteer VRTs. So right now we have uh five volunteer VRTs. We have an administrator who answers the phone, who is in the process of completing a VRT degree. And um, so, I mean, it's just, as I'm listening, I'm just thinking that's exactly what we're doing, except we're, we've got this ophthalmologist who is all gung-ho. We're kind of ha- having to hold him back because we're not, enough. He said, I have 35 to 36 patients I could refer to you right now. And we're like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would be a little overwhelming. So we're, you know, we're taking baby steps to try and get this off the ground, but it sounds like it could be a very, very um, potentially beneficial collaboration in some way.
4: This is Lori and something you may want to consider is partnering your VRTs with peers. And you know, that way you ha- you're you introducing both a peer and a VRT. So they're getting kind of an introduction to the blind and low vision side of things, as well as the professional side of things all at once. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just would have to have the peers and the the VRT peers and the peer peers, if that's understandable (laughs) Um, yes yes you know figure out who wants to have what role and you know that type of thing but it sounds like a fabulous program and you also may want to reach out to council of citizens with low vision Um, they have in the past done some work in this area
1: okay um we we're actually lucky in a way um because of the six volunteers five are uh are all Ah, so you've got that. You've got that handled. (laughs) Yeah, we get that dual. We get that dual benefit.
3: But uh, but what I like about what Lori said is that you're training peers, you know, non professionals to work, you know, in these in this environment, and it also extends your reach so that you know so that you can take on all those thirty six patients that uh, the ophthalmologist has.
1: Sure, that's a great idea. Thank you.
3: That is great. All right. Hey. I, I think I heard you yes, on with somebody have Carrie. else. Right? Carrie? Yes, sir.
9: Hi, this is Carrie Muth um, in Oregon. And great information you all shared. And I Price want to Harry tell people three, about hand. what my, hand, job raise my, raise job my job is. My job is called an ICAP Vocational hand Rehabilitation hand. Career Coach. And on the federal hand. level, there's close. eight states. Hand. Oregon is one that it's a pilot project that supplies these career coaches at community colleges. And so, so much of what you're saying is part of my job. So I've walked, um, students through the process of connecting with vocational rehabilitation in Oregon. We do have two agencies. So this project is, you know, all people with disabilities, all students with disabilities, not just visual impairment. Um, but it provides all of those added supports. Um, and it, you know, the, the main focus are like shorter term educational goals because You know, there's like some programs that are like 16 credits, um, or, or less. So, you know, just looking into community colleges doesn't mean you have to decide you're going to go to school for years and years. You Mm -hmm. can get some credentials that help get, um, jobs, but it's a, a really cool program. Um, it's a just over a year and a half into a five year pilot project. And I'm not sure the other states, but there are eight. Um, and, What it does is all community colleges in Oregon are involved in it. Um, we have one college that's a couple colleges that aren't quite in it yet, but I'm actually supporting a student that that is in go attending another college, um, than the one I I work for. But, um, it's a great opportunity for people to, um, you know, get some of that added support.
8: Carrie, this is Neva. Is that program age
9: restricted? Not at all. Um, they do need to be students or incoming students to the community mm-hmm. college. And, you know, part of what I do too, I, I've worked, I've done rehab stuff s- since the mid 90s. So I'm one of those people with lots of years of experience too.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
9: <laughs> we'll add to that 150 plus years.
1: <laughs> Great.
9: Um. But, you know, I can actually help students, you know, like talk about what careers might be good because, you know, a lot of people going into voc rehab, as you guys know, really struggle with what do I want my goal to be? And so I actually sit down and we talk about the different programs um, that are offered and help, you know, help make some of those career, you know, do some career exploration kind of stuff. And, um, but it is really important. And part of my job is, you know, you guys talk about resources, and that is so important. So part of my job, when I started my job just over a year and a half, just about a year and a half ago, was, you know, I met with people all over the college, because part of my job is to know what, what is available. So, you know, I don't arrange accommodations, but I refer the students to who does. Um, But, you know, they can come to me and say, hey, you know what, I'm really struggling. Well, hey, here, you know, have you thought of? You know, going to the tutor lab or, you know, have you looked into what TRIO is or, you know, there's a lot of other services available. Um, you know, so that's kind of part of my job. And I, I meet with the voc rehab counselors, um, with the students, just providing that support. And the other advantage, um, to students, if this program's available in your state is, um, I actually, have long-term networking with the VR counselor. So I already have that positive rapport with them. And so a lot of times, you know, I can phrase things in a way that makes more sense, you know, because a lot of people, when they're learning these skills of self-advocacy, they don't know how to phrase things or, you know, I've sat in meetings where... Exactly the jargon. Or sometimes I've sat in meetings with students and their VOC rehab counselors, and you know I might just you know mention something. Oh, remember you talked about this, and then that helps you know the the student go well, the further. Other,
2: the other thing is you've got um, a you know people tune out people who aren't don't have the professional title. Sometimes when they get the phone call, yes, but but when they see. Your name on that message or in that voicemail or in that caller ID, and they go, Oh, it's Carrie. She's got a real question. She's not just one of those bother people. <laughs> That's
9: true. And I've had, um, you know, one of my coolest successes is one of my students is in our nursing program. You know, her disabilities are not blindness, but um, she, She originally had applied for vocational rehabilitation services like three years ago, and they declined her based on her disabilities, not thinking this was a good fit. However, this program opened it up. And so she successfully got into the program without vocational rehabilitation help. So now Voc Rehab is helping pay for her education. So that, you know, they've actually been able to buy her stethoscope and other stuff that she's needing. Um, and she just completed her first year of the two-year program. And, you know, she's like a straight-A student. She's very dedicated, you know, doing an excellent job. But, you know, she really struggles um, with, with a lot of that communication stuff. And so that's one of the biggest things I'm helping her with is, you know, how to communicate better with, these, with vocational rehabilitation. But, um, you know, it, it's pretty exciting. And um, it is a pilot project, a five-year one that just has over three years to go. And so the hope is that, you know, we, we all have great successes and it continues and goes into other states at the end hand. of the
2: pilot. Press, press you know what the open eight open states open. are, just press out of curiosity. I'm, I'm, if you don't, that's fine. But I, I, I do
9: not. I should have hand. looked them up oh, so I can tell people, but I, I do not. But you can look up ICAP. It stands for Inclusive Career Advancement Program. Um, that's what ICAP stands for, Inclusive Career Advancement Program. and Looks- um
3: who is it under
9: um it it it's actually federally funded through the rehab through the rehab vocational
6: Services Administration.
9: Mm-hmm. yep okay. it, it is and um yeah it, it's really great
2: resources we have three hands up there it looks like yes we do
1: yep
3: perry so makes, makes a good carry that's great thank press you to
6: open makes thank a good you point. great information diva go ahead, Neva, go ahead. Makes a good point that the
8: relationship with the vocational rehabilitation and other service providers for transition age or older people in your area is so important for coaches to have because you ha- you know the people's names, you know who to ask for, you know where to turn to, and they know you. So that's another aspect of the coach's role that we haven't really touched Let's on very much, but I do think it's a really
3: important. One.
1: Plus to open yes, it is. And,
3: and it, it's going to develop over pop. time hand by, hand you, plus you know, by, hand. you know, close. by your,
1: plus <laughs> you know,
3: your, um, uh, your work, <laughs>
8: right? It will, but it also takes some conscientious effort to reach out and sure. and and
2: build relationships. Get the yeah, get, get, get the get build that, relationships. Get, yep, get the team roster together. Well, we have less than 15 minutes, so let's see if we can get some more questions in here. Yep. Monica, who's next? Don Horn is next. Hi.
0: um, This is very interesting. I've been a rehab counselor in a blindness agency for 34 years now. I think this has a lot of potential. I'm also a little bit disturbed by a little a little of what I've heard.
1: Um the potential.
0: First of all, I think that one thing you may want to consider if you're gonna call yourselves rehab coaches, you really need to think about malpractice issues. Um it sounds like it's something it wouldn't come up, but I I assure you that it could, or at least might. So you may want to check with people on that, attorneys or whatever. I think the positive. I think you have a position that is very, very helpful. I had a situation recently at a client who was not showing up regularly for services. And I had tried everything, including I sometimes offer biweekly or weekly meetings. I say to the client, would you like to meet with me more regularly? How frequently would you like to meet? And even if they cancel it, it, they know that that time is set aside for them. But I was at my wit's end. I didn't know what more to offer. But it was weird because sometimes he would show and sometimes he wouldn't. And I would say to him, well, what is it? Well, the priest called me and said, you know, he always comes to choir practice. And I said to the participant, before we make a closure decision, I'd like you to do something. Can you go home and think about really hard about when do I show up? And when do I not? And I said to him, don't think about how I'm going to evaluate that. Because if you start thinking about how the council is going to evaluate that, you're going to, you're, you're not going to be honest enough to give me what we can deal with. So if you come to me and you say, this is when I can't do it, then we've got something that we can look at. And we may decide, well, you're not quite ready yet. You're seeing a therapist. He was already, um, but here's what we can do, or here's some things that would you like me to talk to like your therapist before we close the case? Would you like to do that? So I think you have a unique role to play because if you can say, well, this person is really reliable when he's on an ACB committee because that's then then I have more information that I can use um. The only thing I would say, you talked about the importance of knowing the regulations, and I think that's really important, but I also think it's really important that you understand the counseling process. And the reason I say that is, yes, I have closed cases because the client did not appear able to reach the goal, or more frequently, I've not supported a particular goal, but but I have never done that without having had a conversation about this is the evidence that, that I'm using. This is the basis on which I'm making that decision. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? So if you're going to talk to people about things like having the conversation, what if your counselor says they're not going to support your goal? You want to be, you, you want to do that in a very different way. What would the counselor have? That would cause them not to support the goal. Why do you not agree with it? I think that's a really different discussion. The other thing I would say, I, and maybe it's happening in other states, but it would surprise me even if somebody was, was only basing it on finance, which would be a terrible thing to be doing. It would shock me if somebody just by basis of age was being referred to the older blind program. I've had people, I had a guy in his, what was he, 85, and he was a lawyer and he returned to law. I have three clients now in their late 60s that are looking at maintaining their jobs i have one that we're doing some career exploration he's not sure that he's going to want to continue because of medical issues but we're exploring it and i think we have to be really 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 careful when we talk about these things to know how it actually may play out
3: thank you sir good comments indeed Who's next?
10: Penny Moss.
7: <laughs> hey, Marcia. And this Hi. is Penny Moss, and I live in Alabama. Hi, um,
1: Penny.
2: I am a uh, retired social worker, but I have kept up my license. Uh, so I am still have an active license, and I would love to do some kind of coaching. Do you all offer training
7: or is there a code of ethics that you provide to people that they need to uh, take a class in that, or is it training you offer? So how would, if someone wanted to go into this type of coaching, what,
1: you know, what can
7: they do? And I think this is a great, um,
1: Hand, presentation, uh, by the, by the way. We're, Thank you, we're we're really, yeah. Sorry, on, Doug. Doug. Well, I, I was just going to say hand, uh, hand. one Press of the CMD purposes for D- having pop
3: pop pop this pop session pop was to gauge interest. So, um, if we can, you know, if we can get uh, several people who are who are interested in this, if we can have affiliates recommend some, hand, you know, some A people uh, and CRD send their names to us or whatever. Then maybe we can, yeah, maybe we can, uh, develop a program to, to train people. I mean, certainly we have the expertise, don't we?
8: (laughs) I would just like to add that your own code of ethics, if you are a social worker, would apply in this situation for people who don't have professions that, that operate under a license or a code of ethics. We, we probably would have to, uh, address those issues in terms of in peer to peer Work, what are the, what are the, the code of ethics that, uh, we need to follow and that people need to adhere to? And eventually, you're right, there would have to be training. Should Next, you have Carla. Oh.
10: Um, I think this is a fantastic, um, idea for years and years and years. Back, oh, 40 years at least. Um, I, I have answered the, uh, the calls for the Kentucky Council of the Blind on our office number. And we very often get calls, as you might imagine, from people who either are good referrals for rehab, for various programs, sometimes people who are unhappy with outcomes and whatever. It's it's the whole gamut. Um, one was as late as yesterday and kind of going down that path of, of helping them maybe to request uh, more information on their case and maybe come out with a different, a different outcome. I think that, uh, this, if I'm understanding what you're proposing, um, I think that it's a, a, a great idea for affiliates to be involved if they have, uh, people who can be, uh, with this type of This advocacy, really, um, and to do it in a positive way. I think a lot of times we think of this type of uh, of working with with uh, people who call us um, pretty sometimes in an adversarial relationship. And I don't think you get too too many places approaching things that way. Um, I was very interested in hearing you say that um, we need to build those relationships with the agency at different levels. Um, I have always tried to make it my business to be on a positive, uh, uh, to have a positive relationship with the people who are uh, running the agency, the people who are in uh, supervisory positions or the director of the agency or whatever. That sometimes has not always been possible, but it's always has to be, I think, a goal. Um, I do hope that as we develop these things or as affiliates are interested in participating, that they get over the fear of, Oh, I can't do this under the ACB umbrella. My question is, why not? And I, I think that this is one thing that we, as blind people, as participants in an advocacy organization, uh, we don't need to apologize for it being an ACB or an affiliate program. In fact, that gives us, in my opinion, more status to what we are doing. Excuse and so, me, Carla? Um, mm-hmm. Doug, I want to let you know you have about four oh, sorry. minutes left. yeah, I
7: was,
10: yeah, I was just going to say I would urge, very strongly urge people to think about this as a service that your affiliate can provide. Thanks, thank this you, is, Carla.
3: I don't think that that I don't think I could do much better as a summary. Do you, Chris?
2: <laughs> no, that's what I was going to say. Thank you for summarizing for us, Carla. All we have to do is give somebody an email address to write to, right?
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep.
4: <laughs> I, I, this is Lori. I would just like to say, very well said, Carla. And, uh, you know, as a grassroots organization, it really is about working from the ground up. And I know that KCB has many programs to support people throughout the state, which are fabulous. And, um, Carla and I have shared stories over the years about, th- working within the rehab system and the educational system. And they've done a lot of really good work in both of those areas.
3: So if people are interested, I think probably right now, unless, unless we're not supposed to give out individual emails. So um, right now, if you're interested, why don't you write to advocacy at acb.org? And, uh, you know, and, and so that goes to Clark and Swapa in the national office. And if they start seeing that there are a bunch of people who are writing in and, uh, you know, and, and interested in this as a program, um, that's a great start.
7: <laughs>
2: you, you might, we might want to give them a heads up.
3: Yeah, we will do that. <laughs> we will do that.
2: And the other and, thing is, if, if you're interested, um, you know, come to the Rehab is, Issues Task Force webpage and join um, the public list um, for stakeholders and let us know that you are interested. That's another way to do that.
3: Yep, that's a great idea. So, um, uh, I think we need to do a CEU code. Yes, we do. Well, first, let me let me just thank um uh thank Alice and Marcia and Neva and John and Lori and Chris and Monica and, and Doug.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and um I- I'm sorry, I've forgotten the moderator's name. Um uh, Brad. Brad, that's right. Um for for their work today. And uh so that, yeah, let's let's do the CEUs and and thank you very much for, for joining us.
1: Okay, the ending CEU code is 68250. Again, the ending CEU code is 68250. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, thanks Thank everyone. You. Have a great
0: day.